Does profanity and crude talk make us more relatable and effective in our engagement with the culture around us? The question comes in a lot in the inbox, and this time it arrives in the form of an email from a podcast listener named Eden. Dear Pastor John, I'm a freshman at a Bible college, and a trend is sweeping the campus. That is profanity. I've never been under the impression that it's okay for Christians to cuss, but many students here justify their language as a means to engage in the world. Is there scripture that supports this idea? Is it okay for a Christian to use crude language to gain the ear of non-Christians? Pastor John, how would you respond to this trend? Well, I have three responses. Um, Number one, this kind of thinking strikes me as being all of a piece with those Christians today who are voting into office candidates who in another generation would have been called lechers and perverts. Now, here's the connection. Issues of moral character, that is, issues of biblical uprightness, are being subordinated to our own strategies for how to make the world a better place. Those who put immoral people in office reveal that their strategy prioritizes political power over the fruits of godliness as a way to make the world a better place. They prioritize political power over the fruits of godliness. And those who use vulgar language in order to engage the world in the hope of making it a better place reveal that their strategy for making the world a better place prioritizes being culturally cool over the fruits of godliness. In both cases, our trust has shifted from the power of God to work through the humility of holiness onto the power of our own cleverness, whether it be political shrewdness or cultural savvy. And I regard this approach to life and transformation as hopelessly flawed. It will not bring the kingdom. It will not transform culture. It will not convict sinners. It will backfire and destroy the credibility of the Christian church. That process has happened before. It is happening again as we speak. We have tried this. The effort to become like the world in order to save the world in the process, we lose the very thing that we're saving the world for. That's been tried. We do this cyclically. I think at the heart of the mistake this time is not only a loss of confidence in the power of God and the truth of his word, but even more deeply, a loss of authentic thrill that in Christ and his way and his word, we have found a way of life that is joyfully, magnificently superior to that the world has to offer. We've lost the authentic thrill that our way is better. Deep down, these students are probably using vulgar language, not because they love lost people and want to rescue them for radical purity before a holy God, but rather they do actually enjoy using that language and being like the world. It feels cool. It feels good. 
which means the battle is lost even before it begins. That's my first response. Here's number two. My second response is that we are naive in the extreme if we think that the world will be persuaded about the radically countercultural claims of Jesus Christ, and they really are radical, probably more than these students realize. We're naive to think that the world's going to be persuaded about these radical claims of Christ because we make a few superficial changes in the way we talk or the kind of parties we throw. I mentioned that because somebody raised the same issue down in uh, Texas recently. This, this I regard as a ridiculous approach to the pursuit of the miracle of transformed hearts. According to the New Testament, what what will get the attention of the world and penetrate possibly to the inner recesses of their hearts is not cultural similarity with the world, but sacrificial service to the world. And say that again, because that's the heart of the matter on this point. What's going to get the world, grab them by their, the scruff of their neck and shake them into reality is not cultural similarity with the world. Wow, you Christians know how to throw good parties. I think I'll be a Christian. What kind of conversion is that? Not cultural similarity with the world, but sacrificial service to the world. In other words, it's not risque language that will waken the dead, but radical love. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds your sacrificial, loving, good deeds, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven, Jesus said. That may cause the world to be shocked and ask if there is a God in heaven, and if Christ did die for sinners and rise again from the dead. I don't think a few changes in words are going to make us more credible on those radical points. Here's my last response. I would point Eden to a passage of Scripture, namely Ephesians 4, Uh, No, Ephesians 5, verses 3 through 4, goes like this. Sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place or not fitting or unseemly, the Greek Anakin, but instead let there be thanksgiving. Three observations. Number one, this kind of nitty-gritty micro-personal concern with language is actually there in the New Testament. Sometimes we Christians would prefer, it seems, I wish to, I wish we could just talk about macro issues like global warming and war and international relations. Who cares about about crude joking? Well, Jesus. Jesus is Lord of the micro and the macro matters of life, and they're more closely related than people think. Number two, second observation about this text in Ephesians. Paul introduces the moral category of not fitting or not proper or out of place. In other words, Christians don't just live by a list. We discern what is suitable in fitting in a hundred situations. Paul says vulgarity is not fitting. Number three, and here, here's what 
maybe the most surprising thing of all, and might go to the heart of the matter best for these young people. The alternative to crude, vulgar language that Paul mentions is not clean language, but thanksgiving. Hmm. In Paul's mind, the problem with people who resort to filthiness and foolish talk and cussing and crude and vulgar language is that they have a gratitude deficiency. Hmm. Something's wrong in the heart, and he puts his finger on it. They're not overflowing with humble thankfulness. That's their problem. So for these uh, three reasons, I would, I would say to Eden, you may relax and joyfully go about your business, keeping your mouth free from vulgarity, but don't put all the emphasis on what you don't do. Instead, fill your mouth with Christ-exalting truth, overflowing humble thankfulness, and pursue the very good works that Jesus says have a much better chance of impressing the world than if we would just adopt a little bit of their language, which they themselves know is cheap. Amen. That's a helpful, wide-ranging answer on uh, living a life in this world that's not cheap. Thank you, Pastor John, and thank you for making the Ask Pastor John podcast part of your day. Stay current with our episodes on your phone or device by subscribing through your preferred podcast app, and you can uh, even now listen through Desiring God's official YouTube channel if you want to listen there. And if you'd like to search our past episodes or browse our most popular episodes in the past or send us a question of your own, do those things at our online home at desiringgod.org forward slash Ask Pastor John. Well, we are now done for the week. Uh, But on Monday, we're going to return to ask this. Why will some of us get lesser rewards in heaven? And why will some of us get more rewards in heaven? Why the distinction? And won't this discrepancy cause all sorts of eternal regret and tension among us? This is a really good and important question from a sharp podcast listener. I don't think you want to miss this one. It's on Monday. I'm your host, Tony Ranke. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you then.